And we're back for another episode of Start Apostle, a podcast for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs. If you want to start, own, or build a business, then you're in the right place. We bring you the real truth about what it's like to take something from concept to launch, from growth, innovation, experience, failing, or winning big, we've got you covered. So let's get down to business with another episode of Start a Puzzle, brought to you by Fullscale.io. And we're back. Another episode of Start a Puzzle. Matt DeCourcy here with Matt Watson. Hi, Matt. Hey, what's going on, man? Oh, I'm back for another movie night. How about you? I'm ready to talk about cars. We're going to talk about cars or we're going to talk about Henry Ford? Both. Okay. We're going to talk about both, man. Well, it's movie night. Second movie night ever. First one was Jiro Dreams of Sushi. little change of pace here. We're going to talk about Henry Ford. Now, why Henry Ford? Oh, that's an iconic American entrepreneur. And I think a lot of people have an uh, impression about Ford. Some of it probably true some of it probably not um but tonight's movie night is american experience henry ford now american experience is a uh, series that pbs did so yeah. it's kind of just you know they have a whole bunch of it but henry ford in general so um i don't know where, where do you want to start should we start with the history of of henry ford well so I think a couple of things. So for those who are listening that want to watch this, I think it's important to note that the only way you can watch this is on iTunes. Yeah. It's not on Netflix or Hulu or Amazon. None of it. It's only on iTunes. Yeah. And that was a, that you can was rent it. Yeah. Now when we first, when we did our first business documentary thing, that wasn't the case. Um, yeah. so, but it was out there now. Uh, now, before we get too far into this, Matt, I should probably let you know that today's episode of Startup Hustle is brought to you by Fullscale.io, helping you build a software development team quickly and affordably. So, um, and how so about what, that new? How about that new intro to the show? Oh, it sounded great. I know the guy reading it is clearly some kind of Morgan Freeman or voice talent, right? So, before we get into this. What did you think or know about Henry Ford before you watched this? So that, and that's where I was kind of going with stuff. So, you know, I think that everyone thinks of Henry Ford as this uh, brilliant American good guy. And, you know, like that he invented the assembly line and all this stuff. And, you know, really, and what I really appreciated about this show was it didn't just fluff up. Ford. I mean, it really spent a lot of time focusing on, well, the downside. The guy was kind of a hater. Uh, he and, was a racist, egotistical yes, fucking yes, asshole. Yes. Yes. And that's the thing. And that's what, you know, that's what I thought was pretty interesting about this. And, you know, we'll get into that, but let's, you know, let's start with Ford. So, you know, Ford, he grew up on a farm in yep. basically nowhere. I mean, yep. he was more or less kind of like that proverbial dirt farmer. Um, he was expected to, to be a farmer growing up. He was considered to be a bit of a boy genius. Um, you know, he, like I said, his, his, the he was very much a mechanic. 
Yeah, and you know they noticed pretty early that he was uh, he was good with the machinery, and he found uh, he found it to be really interesting. And you know, as he kind of as he grew up, um, they you know his parents kind of pushed him for, towards that, and then sent him to live with his aunt in Detroit at sixteen. They were kind of like, "Hey, man, you're probably not going to be a farmer. Go find your way." You want to talk about things being different. You know, when I was 16, I was just like trying to get a car and like trying to like meet girls and like play sports in high school and maybe graduate. I wasn't like being sent off to a major city to like begin my life's work. But, you know, that was that was the way it was back then. And, and you know, that was so they sent him to, to live in Detroit. And, you know, amidst that, you know, he went to work. He he became an expert machinist. He went to work yeah. for Edison. Yeah. Which is the yeah. same medicine that we know that generate, you know, help create electricity and all these different yep. things. And he worked there for probably 10 years or so. Before yeah, he, about, yeah, he was at 31. He was a chief machinist for yep. Edison Electric, and you know, and that was in the late 1800s. Yeah, 1896. He started his first company. That's when you were still a young boy, right? Yeah, that's what I thought. I know you have a lot of experience, so. But you know, and yeah, that was that was you know back back in the day, that was kind of how you did stuff. You went and you got you know you got uh, experience working for the trades. Now in, in the eighteen nineties, the car was a luxury item. It was only for wealthy families. It wasn't it, something that was super attainable. It was the horseless carriage. True, true. So and, he, and his dream was to create one for the everyday person they could afford. Yeah. And so that, you know, the issue, one of the things that, you know, we've spent so much time talking about the fact that uh, a good entrepreneur and a good business solves a problem. Well, the, the problem that Ford really saw was that there was a severe mobility problem right. for rural families and right. those communities. And it was a major undertaking to sometimes even just like travel to the farm next door. And yeah, uh, there were the road. There weren't, you know, there weren't roadways, highways, byways, and and that kind of stuff. The way that you know, we kind of take that for granted. Like, yeah. Matt, if I want to come over to your house, I, I drive down a very well paved, well lit, smooth road. I don't have to go through. Uh, I I believe that on most days, my car will make it with very little effort or thought. But that certainly wasn't the issue. And now the the reason that was a problem is because rural communities were producing food and stuff like that. So it wasn't very efficient. So couple that with the fact that cars were only for wealthy families. And like you said, it, it gave Ford a desire to want to build a car that he could afford. Now, you know, you mentioned the, the horseless carriage and we'll get to that, but uh, you know, in these first 31 years or so, you know, Ford really started developing this dislike for wealthy people. Yeah. That was another big theme of the whole show is yeah. he, he didn't like investors. He didn't like wealthy people. He didn't like any of that. He was very much a farm boy just yeah. through and through yeah. Yeah. in his roots. Um, so here we go. June 4th, 1896 and Ford drove his first quote horseless carriage through Detroit it actually wasn't even the horseless carriage, Matt. They call he called it the quadricycle. Yeah. Yep. And uh, it had it looks pretty cool. 
except for it had a top speed of 20 miles an hour, had no brakes, no reverse, and it was prone to overheating. You know what? I would love to have one of those just to cruise around the neighborhood with my kids, though. Except for you wouldn't be able to have any brakes. Well, we can fix that part of it. You could only go and you know reverse. So that's fine. That's fine. Yeah. But imagine that. Imagine that. So you talk about just like weird shit and the things that you take for, for granted. I'm sitting here thinking about this and I was like, okay, 20 miles an hour doesn't sound that fast. When you don't have brakes, that's real fast. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I'm like out teaching my daughter how to ride a bike. And, you know, when I was a kid, we didn't, I, what was a helmet, right? They certainly were not safe. They weren't wearing helmets. I doubt there was a seat belt in it. Yeah. So his, his friend was basically running in front of him whenever possible to stop traffic. Or at that point, that would have been horses. So or Henry Ford get out of the way. Yeah. Was trying to create a power wheel. Yeah. He, he invented yeah. the first power wheel. Now yeah. our kids all have power wheels. <laughs> so, so, you know, you talk, you talk, so here they are. And, and this thing, you say prone to overheating, that meant it might've run for just a few minutes. And yeah. now we have to sit there and wait for it to cool down. And, and yeah. you know, now I, I think we, we mentioned at the beginning of the episode, you know, some of the things about Ford, uh, that weren't super desirable one one of the things i i noted that you know i wrote down while watching this was ford did he he carried himself confidently that was something that was always known you know he's he he operated with a high level of confidence he wasn't insecure um and you know some of that later kind of got out of control but it, it was in the it, in 1899 when he started the detroit automobile company yep and it was 13 people so, you know, and you think about that, 1899. So, and, it, and I wrote down here at that time, there were about 57 other companies in the United States trying to build cars. Yeah. And now the first cars rarely ran for more than a few minutes back yeah. to that reliability problem. And, you know, that, that whole thing is, it, 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 all right. So in 1899, you're looking at a completely different reality. I mean, there are horses everywhere. There weren't yes. any cars and there weren't a lot of know, big cities. So, but here were some of the issues with that. And I, I, this is something that I, I think a lot of people don't give perspective to. So horses are your major mode of transportation. People are riding horses everywhere. What's something that horses do that cars don't shit. Yeah. And pee and like everywhere and a horse. Like, so at this point, the uh the the cities had a big problem with that and then another thing is sometimes you know what what's another thing that a horse does differently at the end of its career than a car dies it dies and then rots in yep. a different kind of way so people so here you are in major cities and you know, like, so here you've been riding this horse to work every day and for whatever reason it keels over and dies people just leave it and you think about that and think about going, all right, so we're here in Kansas City. Think about going downtown. You're like, man, the horse shit is just really stinky today. It's 100 degrees. You have pee and poo baking all over the street, people trying to, to pick it up. And I don't remember what the numbers were, but I saw something that in the height of, of horse usage in New York City. Horses were pooping like a million pounds a day. Wow. And by the Dude, way, this no, horse had a name. It's crazy, right? My, his, my horse's name was Satoshi. Oh, yeah. We were. 
That's my horse's I, name. I think that was a mini horse that we were going to buy with Bitcoin that we mined and then we quit mining Bitcoin. So, okay. So here they go. They start their company. Ford immediately has disdain for his investors. He yeah. didn't like it. He didn't like having partners. He didn't like having people tell him what to do. They wanted him to make cars for rich people. Yep. And he didn't. And he, was, he didn't want to do it. So much like a lot of situations where investors don't feel secure with the money that they've put in, they pulled their support. Yep. It all blew up. Yeah. So, and, and that, that's when the despise for the wealthy got really, really juicy for Ford. Uh, you know, he, and he swore, he said, after they pulled out, he's like, I'm not doing this again. So, you know, he was, he was at, at this point kind of trying to figure out what the hell he was going to do. And he wanted to make a name for himself. So what better way than to have a race? Oh yeah. Here we go. Yeah. baby. <laughs> so you talking about the, talking about the timeframes and the differences here. So, um, in 1901, at this point, Ford took on a famous race car driver and what was Michigan's first car race. Yeah, and can you can you imagine though living in this life where you see horses every day and you never see cars? And then you see these like cars from like the Fast and the Furious all of a sudden show up to do a race. Like this would be really cool, right? And like except everybody... for they didn't they didn't quite look like that, but <laughs> but sure. every but everybody came out to watch this. Like it was a huge spectacle. Yeah. So, you know, so and and exactly it was. It was exactly that. It was a spectacle. And Ford won the race and he had built his own car for this. And that made him a local hero. It was, think, it was a think, big deal. I think technically the other car overheated and died. Probably. I mean, but it he, was, yeah, but, it, but a big part of it then was the quality of the engine and, and the range, like being able to build a quality engine that could run for 30 minutes or something was actually a huge challenge. And so maybe he didn't have to build the fastest car. He had to build the most reliable engine and that's all it took to win the race. Yeah. And you know, anybody that, that is a fan of racing or any of that stuff knows that often, you know, the, the win and the loss doesn't always, it, I mean, it, obviously it occurs on the track, but the time that you spend in the pit, yeah, you know, how fast can they change tires, add gas, fix this facts. It's, it's agility. I mean, right, it's yep. automotive agility and you know, the thing, What? but then that was a big deal. Like, you know, slow and steady might've very much won the race. But, Absolutely. So here comes Ford and now he's picking up a name for himself and, you know, he ends up with, you know, here it, it, they end up eventually building a car. It's famous, maybe the, the first of it was well, certainly the first of all famous cars. It's the model T man. Well, I think they built a few cars before that. Right. Before right. Before the T. Right. And then, and then it, that, and that was cause they were trying to get it right. And then yep. they, they started to get it right. Yep. And they that kind was of the perfected it, perfected it with the model T. And I, and I wrote down here, um, it had eight horsepower, I believe. And it only weighed 1200 pounds. It could drive 40 miles an hour, but probably the most important thing of all of it is it was very easy to repair and very reliable. You know, one of the things too, and we've talked about this is, is get good at one thing. Yeah. Well, you know, the Model T, it, it, while at first was available in green, later it was available in any color you wanted, as long as it was black. Yes. Yep. And, 
you know, the, the thing with the model T was, you know, it's a $500 car. Yeah. I wrote down and, here. And that was, that was the main thing I wrote down here. Uh, at that time, average cars were $2,000. And when this launched, it was 850. Yeah. So maybe the price came down afterwards. So they got it down. They got it down around 500 bucks yeah. is where it really started to come out. So, you know, as, as the model T came out, there's, you know, there's a whole lot that, you know, and this is where we start you know, at this point, we're moving on. We're getting through the early, the literally the 1900s. And, you know, uh, at this point, Ford had married. He had a son. Um, he, his son's name was Edsel. Very, Edsel. Another well-known, uh, well-known Ford. And he put his son to work on the factory floor. He didn't give him any favoritism. Um, right. I mean, almost to the point, we'll get into that a little later, because that's where the kind of egomaniacal Ford starts starts uh forming but you know it, it was it, it was in 1910 that ford had moved their production line to highland park which is a suburb near detroit and their goal was to produce a thousand model t's a day isn't that crazy so a thousand a day that's their goal that's their their desired output and they had to figure out they had to figure out how to how to do that um, now at the time there was a lot of people that, you know, at the time they would make a car and okay, Matt, if you and I were working together at the, at the factory, you and I would put the, the car together more or less from beginning to end, which takes a whole lot of parts to be sitting in one place in one room to go and, find. And it, and it also takes a worker that knows how to do a whole lot of different things. A lot of steps. Yeah. I wrote down here, it took 12 hours to build a car before they built the assembly line. That still seems pretty fast. But yeah. with but with that, that meant you would have had to know how to do brakes. You have to know how to do motors. You have to know how to do, you know, a lot of different things. They didn't yeah. have the automatic transmission yet. But, you know, yeah, so they, there's... I was going to say, I think they started, he figured out that it was, you know, more efficient to build some of the smaller components, right? And then bring in those completed components. And I don't remember if it was the starter or what it was, but there were some other components. It was, the, ma- it was the Magneto, yeah, which was which was a, a part of the starter that yeah. was kind of like the alternator of sorts. And yeah. you know, so so they had a meeting and they sat down. It's you know, this is an interesting thing is you know Ford gets credit for uh, inventing the assembly line. It wasn't actually the case. Um, as they had a meeting, they they had brought up the process that was used in meat production. Right. So like apparently in meat production, the carcass of the cow kind of rolls down the line and all right, someone's cutting off steaks, someone's cutting off this, someone's cutting off that. And that's what they used to for their first model. And it was the they used that assembly line process to build these magnetos, which is which is what started the car. And their production time went from 20 to 13 minutes. And wow. that, you know, that was a big, that was a big improvement. Yep. So later they tried it on transmissions, axles and engines. And, yep. you know, and uh, that's when, that's when they really started popping on the assembly line. Now, at, at that point, they got things moving to the point that Ford actually controlled 50% of the entire car market. They went from 12 hours to make a car to one and a half hours, and they could not build these things fast enough. 
Well, but they had a problem with that, though. Then this is this is a, a big part in where Ford's storyline, both as a hero and then later as kind of a shithead, uh, started. But you know this, so the assembly line process opened up employment to more people because, like yeah. we talked about earlier, you didn't have to be a, a specialist at anything. But they they had people would show up and they would quit after like two days. They hated it. It was just I, like you know, over and over and over, just the same yeah. shit every I wrote, day. I wrote down here he had to hire a thousand people and only would retain a hundred of them. Yeah, that would yeah I, have that, I have that in my notes too because yeah. like, that really stood out to me and I was said major problems with turnover to a thousand the, hires. To, the big to thing keep that they did people. is they removed the necessity of all skill. You didn't need any skill at all. None, no skill to build a car because like, hey, your job is to screw in that bolt Every minute, there'll be another one come by. You screw in that bolt. You don't need to know Which about I, anything else. You have to think bolt. about why that's a major problem. Because now, if you're in this day and age, in 2020, if you're like, hey, I need mechanics or I need mm -hmm. someone with that, you have people like there's, I mean, how many people do you know that grew up working on cars with dad or doing different stuff? That wasn't an option. Then. No. No, the car was not. this was new. This was new tech. No one had this. This was like something that, I mean, kind of I mean, like, remember. With the personal computer was just a fad at one point, right? I mean, I think a hundred years later, nobody knows how to tune a carburetor. Like that's probably nobody... because they're run by computers, but sure. <laughs> but you know, that was the problem with my first car is I could never tune the carburetor and get it to work the right way. But yeah, there was there was nobody that knew how to fix this shit. Nobody. Yeah. So so here they are. That you know they're getting things moving, but dude, if you have to hire ten people to keep one. That's expensive for a lot of reasons that people, even if they're unskilled, they're yeah. still training, there's onboarding, there's hiring. You got to go through that whole thing. So Ford went to his board and this was controversial. In 1914, they went to a $5 a day wage because they yeah. wanted to reduce turnover and they were going to reduce the workday from nine hours to eight. And, but wait, Matt, there's more. They were going to offer some profit sharing. Yep. And so that minimum yeah. wage, I think, doubled what most people made. Yeah, they were like barely over three bucks. Now, yeah. the problem with that, is, I mean, dude, they were the the board, the investors, the the C-suite, everyone. They were like, this is going to bankrupt this. You're going to ruin this company. This is the end. Yeah. We're going to die. And then 10,000 people showed up ready mm -hmm. to work. Think about that. 10,000 people, that's about half of an arena in most big cities, show up ready to work. And these people, were, they, they were so eager to work because they were like, oh, my God, I never thought I'd be able to make this much money. Five bucks a day. Well, and so let's talk about that for a minute because this was really the one of the biggest moments in, in change of like the industrial area of the United States, right? Where it talked a lot in the movie about how kind of before this time, people were producers. They, they, you know, worked on a farm, they made things, they manufactured things, whatever, right? And then around the turn of the century, around this time, partly because of uh, all this manufacturing and, and other jobs and stuff that were going on, people started to become more consumers. And I think what Ford was after is, you know, my own employees can't afford to buy one of these cars. And my goal was to make a car that everybody can afford. And so... Yep you know, they were starting to pay people a more higher living wage. 
And that's really what created this whole new generation of, of people that were really consumers that could afford to buy stuff. And now we live in this world where people buy like endless amounts of shit they don't need and it's gone way too far. But um, that was a huge change in at this time, you know, in the, in the late 19, you know, 10s, you know, early 1900s there. Big change in our world. Yeah. And, you know, the thing is, like five bucks a day, that was a big like, once again, that was a big deal. And that enabled people to buy more stuff and buy more things and potentially even buy themselves a car. Now, during a, amidst all of this, yeah, obviously, Ford's really picking up and they're making some money at this point. Uh, Henry Ford, he became a bit of a master when it came to controlling the narrative. He was one of the first media influencers. Yeah, Um, He was really considered to be the king of self-promotion. And you talk now, there weren't a zillion forms of media. They actually more or less made their own movie studio. And when you would go to a movie, then it might be like, the whole movie might be how Ford makes a car. You know, it was so funny because, you know, you're, I don't, your, your daughter's probably old enough. Does she probably watch like dumbass YouTube videos of people doing yes. dumbass things? No, they're just like kind of like kids playing with toys yeah. or like unboxing is, or something. Yeah. Henry Ford yeah. was the first person to do this. Yeah. It was yeah. him just doing dumb shit like fishing or hunting or playing cards or whatever. And then they would show it in a the movie theater. Now, keep in mind, and like I said, that that was different. Now you go to, you know, now you're trying to go see the opening of Frozen or something yeah. like that. But movies were also pretty, pretty new back then. So Ford was presenting himself as, as this like unchanged, unchanged by wealth and success. He was, right. you know, here I am. Look, I'm, I'm, I'm just a regular, I'm just a farm boy. Um, I go hunting, I go fishing, I do any of this normal stuff. But what was going on off the screen was Ford was not driven by cars. He was dri- started becoming driven by his own ego. Yeah. And, yep. I, you know, now we're, we're so saturated with media from a gazillion different sources. When there's only a couple forms of media and you're dominating one of them, not only dominating, you own it, you're distributing it, that could be a problem. Now, in Ford's case, um, he was really opinionated. You meant he was like, he, this guy was, he was racist. He was anti-Semitic. Oh, he, yeah. he was very uh, vindictive and judgmental of people's uh, lifestyles and the choices he, they make. He didn't drink. He didn't smoke. Nope. He got up at early in the morning to, to work out. And if you didn't do it his way, to hell with you. You know, he he did some things that were kind of interesting um, that I'd wrote down. I don't remember this, but he um, they tracked down a lot of their own employees and wanted to know how they lived and all that stuff, right. and, wanted, and wanted to make sure that they had a proper lifestyle. And I guess they would be reliable employees and all that. But also worked very hard to teach them English, kind of Americanize the employees. I guess a lot of the employees were probably immigrants that didn't speak English, um, and it was it was kind of a interesting like social working that was going on of like, well, I, I have notes about that. I put Ford became controlling of his workforce by creating a sociologic department yeah. that kept tabs on workers, demanding that they conform to standards and norms that met Ford's standards. So they would basically now look sociologic department basically means a bunch of fucking private detectives that right. were following people around. They were like following 
uh, they would come and all right, I'm at, all right. So let's just say we're hanging out with the family, and all of a sudden, knock on the door, and it's Ford's sociologic department because yeah. they want to come in. They want to see if you're living clean, it, you know, if you're drinking, all these different things. And there was a one strike policy. Yeah. So yep. like, I mean, well, maybe maybe a two strike because the first, if they if you weren't up to the standards. They would, got they would basically, you, you got a warning, but you better get your shit together because these standards are strictly enforced. And, you know, here's the thing is this is absolutely insane. Yep. It's, it's a, by today's standards, this is outrageous. There, I mean, there was like, something outrageous. That were, I think there were, I think he had the right intentions. And I think there were some things that were good about it, like trying to teach people English and, and some things like that. I think he had the right intentions, but like most like, over generally kind of very liberal policies like it's like the government is in control and sure. uh, and that's kind of what happened like it, it was like the death star and everybody kind of reported to the death star and, and yeah and that, but that but see that's problematic because you know one of the things in sociology that they teach you is who watches the watchers right and you know that's like the most fundamental part of, of of certain types of like governmental control or whatever, whether it's the NSA or something like that. And you know the thing is, is like if you give people power to control the way other people act, think, or behave, eventually it gets out of control. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's really no like there's really no uh, example in history, like in all of history, where that hasn't been the case. And, and, you know, and that's the thing is it, it removes an element of freedom. So, you know, and like I said, these are strictly enforced. So you, what you mentioned, Matt, was they had this like Americanization type. You had to do it. So at the time, and this is a little, this is a little foreign to what we're used to now, but keep in mind in like 1915, pretty much everyone coming through was an immigrant. Yeah. Now, mm -hmm. You know, now we'll be like, well, what's your, what's your nationality? I'm a fucking American, man. My great, great grandmother was from Ireland. I have not been to Ireland. I am not Irish. I grew up in America. I'm from Kansas in America. I am about as american as it gets in that regard now but they wanted to kind of wash that out a little yeah. bit now it, like you said it was with the best intentions but they had this just weird ass thing so keep in mind like so in a multicultural feel like that you'd have people from all over they're dressing different they're speaking different languages he wanted to assimilate yes yep very and much. they even had this thing this melting pot ceremony yes. where when they would graduate they would walk into this giant cast iron pot they would show up dressed like they would have in their native country. And then they came out with like looking like an American top hat and like, yeah. A, yeah, like I was like, Oh my God. Like, I mean, it really was kind of textbook assimilation, but Hey, but that was the way it needed to be. Now here's the thing. There was no workplace standards. You no. couldn't tell people not to do that. You could literally show up at your employee's house and be like, I don't like the way you're living. And if you don't change it, get the fuck out. And by the way, that's crazy. That's crazy. So do you want to get into all that part of it now? Or do you want to say, I mean, well, kind of, cause here's the thing is uh, during this time. So you talk about controlling the narrative and presenting yourself. So Ford's still presenting himself as this like country boy, this like, uh, you know, with these uh, rural ideals, but he'd become very famous. And meanwhile is buying a 1300 acre Island where he built a 31,000 square foot home. Wow. That's by a, that, that's a castle. Yeah. 
I mean, 31,000 square feet, dude, that's huge. Well, he also, he also built this thing called the Greenfield village, which was the old, old school town where he rebuilt like a whole historic town that was like his little playground. That was pretty crazy too. So here's the thing is, so, so this is where Ford gets kind of nuts. So he, you know, all right, during the, this time, you know, so during the same time, Ford started kind of be, once again, becoming embattled with his investors and two of which were the Dodge brothers, yeah. like Dodge cars. Yep. And uh, I can't remember what their names were, but so, so at this point, Ford's really popping, he's making money. He's got all these things. He's kind of still doing his media stuff and controlling these employees. And at 55 years old, he announces he was leaving the company and he was going to leave Edsel in charge, who, by the way, at the time was 25 years yeah, old. Yeah. And at this point, they had $250 million in revenue, which in 19, whatever that was, dude, that's a shitload of that's revenue. And they had 45,000 employees. And here's the 25 year old kid. And they're like, hey, man, you're in charge. And now it gets better because two months after that, Ford announces that he's going to just go start a different company. And he wanted to build a $300 car yep. and planned on nationwide factories and 200,000 employees. Here's the thing. He never really planned on doing that. No, but he scared the shit out of everybody. It scared the shit out of all of his investors. They freaked out. Now, dude, you couldn't do that today either. Elon Musk gets fined for making a, a statement on Twitter about tesla you know but yeah. back then you'd be like you know what i'm starting my own company you guys are all fucked your shares are going to zero i'm going to build a 300 car i've got the name i've got the money you don't have shit and all it was was a trick to buy back his own stock he spent 106 million dollars and then once again the ford family controlled the company in full pretty amazing you look at you look at some of this stuff and that's why i said it's like okay so before you watch this you think henry ford you're like oh yeah man that's like one of america's great entrepreneurs this guy's doing some snaky snaky shit oh, yeah yep not only to his employees to his investors to everyone but here's the thing the worst of it all his own son he was not cool to edsel no he was a horrible horrible father to Edsel and terrible. The the show talked a lot about how, you know, Henry grew up as this farm boy, but Edsel very much grew up with the elite of Detroit. True. And had a completely hated that. Henry hated that. Had a different, very different upbringing because of that. And you actually see this a lot in entrepreneurs in in families, like, you know, somebody like me, I, I do something or whatever, but then your kids and your grandkids become very different because they grew up with like a silver spoon in their mouth or whatever, right? And that's what that's where Edsel was. He he didn't grow up on the farm. He grew up as this rich kid in Detroit with a highfalutin everybody going to the best schools, the best colleges, the best of this, you know. And it was a whole different world, and that created a, a big divide between him and his father as well. Well, I think a lot of I think a lot of uh, a lot of businesses and the people that started them want to pass them down to their own family, and those businesses fail a lot. And that's yeah. just because of the reason you said, because kids aren't their parents. And the work, the work what you were passionate that, about, your kids might not be. Yeah, the work ethic that Henry Ford had, his son isn't automatically born with it. Yeah, so, all right, this is where it gets bad. 
All right. So, and, and I, man, I didn't even realize this was the case with Ford, but this is shitty stuff. So in the 1920s, he bought a local publication Yeah, uh, and I didn't write down what it was. And he starts, he started publishing anti-Semitic articles. He so, literally bought a newspaper so he could, and the, it became worse and worse to the he point hated that he Jewish was, people. He thought that he was, Jewish people were the scum of the earth and the problem the, of everything. With everything, right? Yes. And he and so not, I mean, it was one thing to have that shitty opinion. It was another thing when he started circulating copies of this paper to more than seven thousand of his car dealers. By 1926, he had a nine hundred thousand uh, circulation newspaper running. And to the point, it was so bad that like leaders, including Woodrow Wilson, the former president of the United States, were openly condemning Ford for his actions. You know, the so everything he did was about all the, of the that part of it was horrible. But on the flip side, that might have been like the only nationwide newspaper. It could have been at some point. That bet, part of it that might was, have been fairly innovative. Yeah. Because yeah, he now, distributed it through the Ford dealerships. But obviously now, what he was writing about was keep, very... Keep in mind when they have that big of a market share and you're a dealer of that and here comes this stack of papers, I bet those dealers were afraid to not put those out. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm sure. You know, and just like really, I mean, bad stuff. I mean, Ford actually got, I mean, they got in some trouble later. They, I mean, it came up like are you a Nazi supporter? Like it was not what most people would think of when it came to Henry Ford. So, so, you know, while he's messing around with that and you mentioned like he's doing his like highbrow rich stuff, he's on that 1300 acre Island. He was bought, he would buy up like historic buildings, like the, wherever Edison or who, wherever the light bulb was invented, mm -hmm. went and bought that building, had it transported to his property and rebuilt. He's like mm -hmm. literally like reconstructing like, I don't know. It's like you ever, there's a place in, when I lived in Indianapolis called Connor Prairie and we used to go to it. And it's like one of those recreation villages hmm. where you go in, like all the people are in character. You're yeah. like, where's your refrigerator? Like, what's a refrigerator? That's where Henry lived. Yeah. He, he built a lot of his time. Yeah. Yeah. He didn't want things to change, which is a bad way to be an entrepreneur because as time passed, well, so did Ford's innovative ways. Uh, now he's got General Motors gaining market share. Ford at this point is refusing to make any changes to the Model T. It's a perfect car. It's a perfect car. We don't need to change. We don't need to do anything. So stop asking. And if you ask, I'm probably going to throw you out of your office, throw you out of the office. And during that period, Ford lost 50% of their own market share. Yeah, I, th I think they only built the Model T for something like 16, 17 years or something like that. They made, That's a long time. They made 15 million of them, yeah. though. Yeah, not... well, the, but part of the problem, and you know, with Movie Night, we want to talk about some of these entrepreneurial lessons. He, Ford surrounded himself by yes men. Yeah, that was the problem. And, and we, no one was no one was telling him the truth until finally Edsel was taking a stand and was like, "Hey, man, like this is not going the right way." He need you know, but but Ford felt like he knew what was best for the public. Like, yeah, that's back the thing. To the, like the distribution of papers, the the production of everything, and like Matt had just mentioned in 1927, the 15 millionth Model T rolled off the line. And with that, they finally retired the Model T. He, he didn't care what the customer wanted or what the customer's opinion was. His opinion was, yeah. I built the best car there is in the world, and you're going to love me I know for what's it, good for you. Buy it, and I know what's good for you. Yeah. I know what's good for you not only as a consumer, 
but as an employee yeah. or just as a general citizen in it's life. Very socialist and kind of use. It's a well. It's also. I mean, it's ego maniacal. Yeah. I mean, just that whole belief. So they finally, you know, they finally came out with the Model A, which had a had a powerful engine, and it actually came in more colors than one. And it was a huge um, success. Yeah. Well, one of the big things they did that was back to being a little more innovative and in that the, they offered an installment plan. Mm, yeah. The very first car payment, baby. Yep. Or one of them, which is very uncommon at the time. And, you know, fortunately for Ford, the Model A revived their sales. Yes. So, but, but in the background, okay, first off, it was Edsel that was behind the Model A. Yep. And then Ford stepped up and took all the fucking credit for yep. it. And then held a deep contempt for his son for pushing those changes. So now amidst all of this, this is what you talked, you mentioned the Death Star earlier. Ford was building his, he was building this River Rouge mega plant. And yes. River Rouge was an area near Detroit, dude, at 10 years of construction. And now they wanted to create 10,000 cars a day. Does that place still right. exist? I, I think, well, I don't know what in Detroit exists. It's kind of been dynamically changed over the years. But, but here was one of the things. Now the Great Depression was kicking in. Yeah. The market crashes were in, the, were in 1928. And, uh, up until that point, you know, they had, Ford had been forced to relax some of these sociological department standards and stuff like that. Cause you know, they got up to having 45,000 employees. Like, think about that. If you have to, if you're trying to get people that are forcing, I don't know, you'd have to have a whole nother 10,000 employees to probably keep up with the 45,000, but you know, as the depression years came back and the, okay. So if you had a job, then your biggest fear was losing it. <clears throat> there weren't a whole lot of other options. So Ford brought back the strict workplace standards. Yes. And you kind of push it again. And, you know, once again, as time went by, okay. So Edsel was not like that. Edsel was basically the opposite and embraced a more modern form of management, employee friendly, just like, good workplace standards and Henry started looking down on him even more, man. And, and like you mentioned as well, Henry really, really, really got salty about his personal uh, Edsel's personal lifestyles and choices because Edsel lived like the other rich elite. Yes, absolutely. And, and, but here's the thing. What else was he going to do? Like he's this famous kid of this famous person. And it wasn't like he was just out with everyone else. So, I mean, you kind of learn to adapt and be like the people that are around you, but yeah. So, I mean, Henry at this point, it's like, God, I could not imagine being that dude's kid because he would just shit on anything that Edsel did or wanted. There was even one point in there. Do you remember the point uh, that Edsel wanted to build another building next yes. to their old yeah, yeah, yeah. factory? So they started digging the foundation for it. Forge Henry shows up and says, what the hell are we doing? And he's like, well, we have to build another building for this. And Henry's like, no, that isn't the case. They go to start filling in the hole. And Henry's like, no, just leave it there. Because he literally wanted Edsel to walk, have to walk to work every day and pass this fucking hole to be reminded of what a bad decision that yes. was. Yep. I'm like, what? Are, oh, weird. So, all right. And this is where things, it, it, but wait, Matt, there's more. 1935, the Wagner Act passed, and yes. this allows workers to unionize. 
And this became a problem for automakers. And they want, they really want now Ford hated unions. He hated them because they challenged his power. They did. He gave up all control. Tell me how to do it. Yeah. 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 So when you have, I don't know how many employees at that, at that time. Right. But they have tens of thousands of employees. He felt like now I can't do what I want to do. The union all of a sudden runs my whole company and they can do whatever they want, you know, dictate or strike at any time. If they won't do things how I want them to do them, screw that. So this was UAW, United Auto Workers, and they uh, they put a lot of pressure. A lot they were having strikes, and I mean things got violent. Yeah, like, GM and Chrysler than- unionized pretty quick, but then Ford fought it till the very end. And he really did. Um, publicity from his union backlash, coupled with their lack of innovation, caused him to lose share again. Yeah. So. You know, at this point, Ford is aging and he's becoming combative. He's he's paranoid. He's getting senile. And, you know, the and and World War Two breaks out. Now, Ford gained some big government defense contracts and put the company back on track. But the government was really concerned that they weren't going to be able to build what they wanted to build. Like Ford was just as stubborn. He was a turd. And, you know, with the union continuing, the, the, the union problems were continuing. And Edsel, so Edsel works out an agreement without Henry, which by the way, Henry refused to sign. And in the end, Ford ended, ends up giving UAW, Henry Ford, everything they needed. But it wasn't out of anything other than the the word on the street was his wife, Clara, was like, if you don't sign this, I'm out. Ouch. I'm out. He didn't even want to do it. Yeah. He didn't want to sign it. It was a, so anyway. So, you know, we mentioned the the pressure, the stress, the bullshit. Uh, that really, in the end, ended up weighing hard on Edsel, who in 1943 died of stomach cancer at age 49. Yeah. And and, at, and you talk about control. At that time, Ford is literally showing up at the doctors demanding that they restore his health. Yeah, it makes you really wonder if all of Edsel's health problems had to do with stress and all that stuff from his father and, and everything else for all, many years before well, they mentioned at, the, at that time, they mentioned that uh, that having stomach ulcers was not uncommon for, for the management there. Mm-hmm. And that was just the like kind of just the shitty, stressful work environment. But, you know, so after Edsel died, Henry tried to take over, uh, which was problematic again, because at this point, he's he's old. Oh, yeah. He was, he was senile. He's he 80. Was totally totally problematic yeah totally problematic he should have ran for president you know he was like 78 give or take yeah he should have ran for president think about that (laughs) yeah so (laughs) so finally in 1947 the dude dies at 83 years old years old and it wasn't until at that point that the company finally went public yes but you know to this day the ford the ford family actually still controls the whole company I believe it. They have the, they have like super voting shares that control everything. Well, Henry Ford, the second was the CEO and in charge for a really long time. And, you know, like, I don't know, that's a lot to deal with. So yeah. And that was kind of where the show ended. Now, uh, this is a longer, this is a longer one. This is, was about two hours long. It's loaded with a lot of, of historical and those kind of facts. It was very interesting. 
Yeah, and you overall, what what did you think? I thought it was great, and you know, it, it definitely showed you. You know, when we started, I said, "Oh, what did you know about Henry Ford before you watched this?" Right, and, and the only thing I knew is like, "Oh, we, you know, he obviously started the Ford Motor Company and invented the Model T, which you know I knew a little bit about assembly line. That's really all I knew." But it, it was really fascinating to learn all the stuff behind uh, behind the scenes, and you know, I think it's kind of a typical story actually of somebody who is really smart build something and kind of gets a little, you know, further than he can manage. Right. And then on the other side, become so egotistical about what he built that everybody else catches up to him and passes him, which is really what happened. Yeah. He he stopped innovating. I mean, not only one, it happened a couple of times. Yeah. And so, I mean, these are typical stories that they even happen today. You get the people that build these things and they think they're built the best thing in the world and somebody else, comes right behind them and does something even better and passes them by. I think the thing, the, the thing I took away from this is obviously like you got to accept that things will change and improve. Um, if you can't do it all yourself, then you rely on others more than yourself and you got to respect the hustle, man. Like, you know, the, the whole, the whole act of just like trying to control, like it was kind of a shitty place to work, even though they ended up paying people more at one point. The question is, is at what price? Um, I hate the whole hater stuff. Like I, you know, I can, I don't have to like someone to do business with them, but I need you to not be like a racist, misogynist, anti-Semitic asshole. Yeah. Like I'm not going to give you my money if you're out spouting that shit. Like yep. ain't no one got time for that. And you know, I, that's the thing that, that annoys me with some people. And sometimes it's I, on the other side of things And this, you know, like we go, we, well, when we could, we would go to a lot of concerts and live events. And I hate it when the artist like stops and it's like, I just want to take a couple minutes and talk to you about my personal views about politics and this shit. I'm like, fuck you. Less talk, more rock. I know play music. I didn't, I didn't come here to join your political rally. And you know, that was, I mean, that was, you know, this, the same kind of thing. And I, and I think if we're going to learn something from all this is that your personal views shouldn't be, shouldn't be uh you shouldn't be like a you shouldn't be half an oppressor yeah when it comes to that and you know i always say don't i don't i want to avoid discussing ever talking of politics religion or sex in the workplace because none of them have an upside yeah yeah he was definitely that that would have been right very oppressive to all his employees and everybody about his own lifestyle choices and all that stuff it was really crazy so how many popcorn buckets are you out on this one? Uh, out of five? Yeah, I think you invented the popcorn yeah. bucket system um, in the last one. I'm going to go with uh, four. I'm going to go with four, too. Yeah, I'm going to go with four. I, I think that um, it could have it could have possibly been a 4.5. Um, I think there were a few spots that, that were a little slow. But if you're a history buff and you like that, you like the details and the expansion of the details, and this is for you. Um, I mean, because like I said, it, it depends. Like my wife wouldn't have enjoyed this because it was a little long. Um, I, I actually never really found it very boring. I think there was just a lot of continual kind of twists and turns 
and the crazy shit that he did that made it really interesting. Yeah, and I enjoyed that part of it. And I, I like the historical details. I didn't mind the I didn't mind the length. I'm saying overall, like my popcorn bucket ratings are based on what I think our listeners would feel about it. And or I is think it based that, on how much popcorn you actually ate? I'm on keto diet right now, so that would be zero buckets. Uh. Yeah. So but the but the point is is like, you know, like I I think this I I think that this is is kind of a must watch for entrepreneurs and future entrepreneurs because there's a lot of lessons to be taken from this, especially when it comes to a lot of things to avoid. And the fact that Ford has continued to grow into such a behemoth and like, you know, it's not they're not in their finest years right now, but they're there still a big ass company doing a lot of stuff, a lot of value, a lot of wealth, a lot of stuff, a lot of things. You know, some of the things we didn't even get into was the car, uh, the access to the car and people buying the car changed consumerism and everything. Yeah. I mentioned that a little bit earlier. Yeah. And it just changed that whole thing, which is also something Ford grew to hate. Yeah. Like, look at this amazing thing that I have built that is causing things to grow and get better, but I'm going to hate all of it. So I think in the end, the thing I took from this is don't be a, don't be a, don't be a dick. Like, is that fair enough to you say? Know, like, I like to think that not, not a bad rule to live by. But I think most of us learn that in like kindergarten. Yeah. I mean, well, some of us do, and then some yeah. of us are way better at it than others. Um, and you know, it's just, I don't know. So in the end, man, another successful movie night. Um, so the next, the next one is available on Netflix. It's relative, It's much newer. It's called American Factory. Okay. Have you seen that yet? I don't, I don't know. What's that one about? It, it's an interesting story. It's, uh, I'm not going to give too much of it away because it, it is very much on Netflix. It came out, I believe, last year, if not 2018. Uh, won a bunch of awards. It's about a Japanese company coming in and kind of re-innovates a struggling factory somewhere in like Ohio or whatever. And, um, you know, like I said, it's, it, it's, it's a bit of an award winner. Um, and, and, and like I said, it's, I thought it was a, it was a good, I'm trying to kind of, uh, line these up uh, so they kind of make sense going into each other. Cause we looked at Ford and now American factories. So, you know, there's been so many changes and the, the auto industry is still in a massive state of transition and trying to catch up with stuff. Yeah. And you look at, and so how is that changing stuff? People, people sometimes ask, they're like, why did these car makers or why are, certain like they say sony's trying to make an electric car that's because cars don't have fuel combustion the future car doesn't have a fuel, it doesn't have a, a combustion engine in it so Dude, our cars what really are you good at be any different than the power wheels that our kids have for like 200 bucks yeah yeah we're getting that's there we go that's really what not do. any we different try, we need to try to invent a 500 quadricycle that's yeah. good for anybody yes with i'm gonna brake. get I, i'm gonna get after that i'll see you next time yeah. Startup Hustles brought to you by Fullscale.io, helping you build a software team quickly and affordably. Make sure you reach down and hit that subscribe button, then come find us on Instagram. See you next time.